have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1. So again, what we're doing here on Sunday evenings is uh, we are having what we're calling beta gatherings, and that's just a cheesy way of saying that uh, we're forming who we are as a church, and part of that is what we're going over the DNA of who we are um, in this baby infant form and who we hope to be as we mature, and the very heart of our DNA is four big ideas, four values that would normally be up on a banner back behind me here, but uh, yeah, they're not tonight um, uh, for several reasons. Um, I've had trouble getting the banners to stay up uh, before the stands came, which I had left in our garage, and um, I did not cut myself out whenever that happens. <laughs> may or may not because of that. Um, but our four values, four big ideas are Jesus, worship, community, and mission. So everything that we do and everything that we are and everything that we will be at DOXA will be based on and will come out of those four big ideas. And so number one is Jesus. And that's a really obvious one, but it's super duper important because He's like the reason that not just Doxa exists, but the church exists at large. The church exists um, for Jesus. He's the one that started the church. He's the one who said, I will build the church. That's not my job. It's not your job. We're not starting a church here at Doxa. We are planting a church. He provided the seed, which is the gospel, which is his sacrifice life on our behalf. That's the seed. He gave it to us. He told us to go and take that seed and plant it all over the world. And that's why we're planting it here and we're saying, God, there's a lot of people here in this area who do not know you, who do not celebrate you, who do not appreciate you, who do not see you as beautiful and glorious and the one for whom they were created, the one who their heart beats for, the one who not only formed them, but the one who they were made for. They don't see that. They don't see the fact that apart from you, they are cut off from God and they are under his wrath. And if they, without putting their trust and faith in you, they have no hope. They are cut off forever from you. We're saying, God, by your spirit, by your power, would you take this seed that you provided us and would you bring a harvest? That's what we're asking you to do. That's the, the point of planting the church is not to attract a bunch of Christians, though we're going to need them to come and be a part and uh, join, join the team. There's lots of things that have to be done. There's a lot of uh, hands that are needed, a lot of hearts, a lot of minds that are needed to do this deal, but uh, that's not what we're after. It, it, it's, it's not to get like a thousand people who are already going to another church in Rural Beach and get them to come here instead. We're not a new competitor on the block. We're not McDonald's open up across the street from Burger King. We, we're like trying to start a whole new thing. We want to see people who do not yet know him come to know him. And who would not have otherwise have known him if we had not planted a church here to come to know him. And so we're about Jesus, number one. And number two, we're about worship. Last week we talked about how we are all worshipers, right? I mean, that you're not like 
just created to be a worshiper, and worshiping is not like what you do, but it's actually who you are. At the very core of being a human being, we are made worshipers. That's what we do. We are all great at it. You don't have to learn how to be a worshiper. You are a great worshiper. And what that means is that we find something that is worthy, something that's valuable, something that we view as ultimate value. We give ourselves to that. We celebrate it. We serve it. And then we also talk about how we become like it. Scripture says that we become like what we worship. And so we are praying that Jesus being the one that we worship, we will be becoming more and more like him as we worship him. And so um, the working definition of worship that we're going to be working with as Adoxa is um, is gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. Gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. That's what worship is. And last week, if you remember, let's look at Genesis 1, uh, verse 26. I think it's very important. To start at the beginning, if you want to know like, what we're about as human beings, you have to start at the beginning. Verse 26, Genesis 1. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them, notice the plural there. This is a little side note. Um, God said, let us make man in our image. That's plural. So I'm not God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. And then, but then it says, um, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. What do you think he's talking about? Us? Sure, all humans, absolutely. There's a, a cool little, um, cool little this, I just, I just like this. Um, verse 18 of chapter 2, this is after God creates man. Uh, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had born every beast of the field, every bird of heaven, and it goes down and says he creates a woman. Verse um, 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made it to a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone. It's a very interesting thing. To, to say um, this poetry, then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and shall become one flesh. Just a little, little um, side note that um, uh, God didn't create us to be alone. God created man alone in the garden. And he said everything was good. And then later on in chapter 2, he says, it's not good for man to dwell alone. <coughs> that's not just talking about a husband and a wife, though that's obviously the context here. But that God has created us to need each other. There is no concept of humanity apart from the community 
of humanity. No man is an island. And in our American culture, uh, it is astonishing to me over and over again as I see people's lives, how isolated people are. We have more ways to be connected than ever before. You can constantly see what all your buddies are doing all across the United States. You can keep up with them. Floods of information, floods of thoughts. You can know who's at the bakery right now and who's leaving the gym and all these things and yet be absolutely alone. And that's not the concept of existence that God's called us to be. But let's look at verse 26 of chapter 1. That's a little freebie. That's good to have you. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. How? Male and what? Female. He created them. Both created in the image of God. Different roles. We'll get into that way down the line. Different roles. But both created in the image of God. Both a man and a woman reflect the glory and the beauty of the Creator in very different ways. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful. <coughs> Multiply and fill the earth and what? Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, like last week, we talked about how there's this picture that I, I totally stole from this theologian named N.T. Wright that man is like a mirror. And uh, and the fact that we were created of the dust of the earth, so we're of creation, right? But yet we're made in what? The image of who? Uh, God, the imago Dei. That's the theological term of the image of God. And so we stand like a mirror between, between, really, earth and heaven. Of the earth, but yet not like the beasts of the field, not like the trees. And in the image of God, but yet not equal to God. And so he created us to have dominion and to subdue the earth. And the idea was that we would see this beautiful creation that he had made. We would be living in this perfect community with the other people that he had made. And that we would have such joy in seeing the, the beauty and the glory of God shown in creation. Shown in the face of each other. Shown in the face of my wife and my children. And as, as we explore the earth and we ex, uh, discover science and we discover how to build cities and buildings and uh, art and poetry. We see Adam right off the bat. You know, he, sees, he sees Eve and he's moved and what does he do? He writes a poem right on the spot about this beautiful woman who's not wearing any clothes. I mean, that will, that will cause men to write poetry. Huh. And it was made to be that way. It was a glorious, beautiful, wonderful thing. And he made us to take all of this amazing things that he had made and to have dominion and to subdue it and to offer it back to God as worship. That's what he created us to do. That's why that's what, you know, remember the, the speech that JFK gave about going to the moon? 
And he said, why should we go to the moon? There was really no reason to go to the moon except to beat the Soviets at the time, right? I mean, I mean, why? That's a lot of money and time and effort to go to a place that you can't live on, right? And you can't grow crops there. There's no gold. Like, there's no reason to go there except we we want to see it, right? We want to mine the depths. Why? Why do? Why is uh, what's the um, Cameron? Uh, you know, he's. James, James. James Cameron, you know, he's exploring, he's, he's spending millions and millions of dollars to explore the deepest parts of the ocean. Why? Just because he wants to see what it looks like down there. God has made us with this thirst for knowledge, the thirst for beauty, to, to be awed and wow. Why do we go? Why, if you've seen pictures, how many, how many people here have seen pictures of the Grand Canyon? How many people here have been to the Grand Canyon? <laughs> Why did you go to the Grand Canyon if you had already seen a picture of it? Picture doesn't do it justice. Why? Why did you? Find, what was? We had to see it. Yeah, had to see it. It was huge and awesome. What's the difference in the feelings that you had of looking at it in a on TV and actually standing at the edge of it? <laughs> when when we were driving there, Angela goes. We were talking about it, and we were like, yeah, like, from seeing a picture, like, we were talking, and we were just like, why don't they just build, like, a bridge over it so you could drive? And then we got there, and we went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's why it's called the Grand Canyon. <laughs> yeah, and we literally just sat there and looked at it going, oh. <laughs> wow. And there's a little teeny tiny river at the bottom. And we're like... Whoa. That's all. We, that's all we can really do is just go. Whoa. Why do we gather thousands and thousands of people to watch guys get down on a field and throw a ball around and hit a ball? I don't know. <laughs> why? Oh, that's a pretty good question. Do you know why? Because we were created for glory. We were created for worship. We were created to see amazing things and be wowed by them and to express worship for it. The more into uh, your football team, you're a Game Cup fan, I assume. Um, I'm sorry. But, but you, uh, you, you a Game Cup fan as well? Or you were saying, no, okay, you are. Yes. Um, what, why in the world would you gather 8,000 people? It was fun to see a tiger go down. <laughs> exactly. There's something about seeing something amazing. Why do we watch? Uh, why do guys? Why do we watch? And, and maybe you don't. But, but why do you watch the sports center the day after the sporting event has happened? And watch the plays that happened the day before? And sometimes even of a game that you watch. I, I went to a Clemson game with um, Megan and I with some, with, uh, some friends of ours. And um, we, it, it took a lot of money to get down there for us. And we shared a room with this other couple, which is always a very awkward situation to be in, quite honestly. They're very, very awkward. But, but we wanted to go see the Clemson Tigers play the Tennessee Volunteers in the Peach Bowl. And surprisingly enough, Clemson beat the Tennessee Volunteers. It was amazing. And in the middle of the night, now this, I would not recommend, I wouldn't recommend sharing a room with another couple anyway, but 
If you do, I would not recommend you do this in the middle of the night, 2 o'clock in the morning. I wake up and the TV is on. And he had found out when they were going to replay the Peach Bowl that he had been at hours ago. And he sat there in the middle of the night while we were sleeping, not very considerate, but he sat there while the rest of us were sleeping and re-watched the Peach Bowl in the middle of the night. Why? Because he wanted to relive those glorious moments. He was, he, he was crazy about the Clemson Tigers, and he, whenever he saw the great plays and the win, he could not help but to express, like, wow, we are made to worship, and worship must find an expression. There is no such thing um, as worship without an expression. Now, Remember last week we talked about vain worship? You remember we looked at in Matthew and it said that Jesus quoted uh, Isaiah and said, In vain these people worship me, for their uh, hearts are far from me. They're, they worship me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. So worship is not the actions that we do. Worship is what we are putting our uh, putting value in. What are we finding ultimate value in? But that always finds expression. When when, God, when when Clemson is down five points, and it's the last minute of the game, and inexplicably the guy throws our quarterback through the touchdown pass, and he just barely, barely gets one foot down in the end zone, makes the, makes the catch. And the referee does this. Nobody has to run out and say, all right, cheer, everybody. It's time to cheer. What does is, what is the whole stadium do? It erupts in an expression of worship because what you put value in always finds expression. Now, inside that stadium, there may, may be lots of different expressions. Some people are the jumpers. Some people are the screamers. Some people are the high fivers. Some people, you know, I, I have high five like total strangers who I, I have no idea who they are. I've never seen them again. They'll never see me again. But at that moment, we were bound together by this bond of being a Clemson fan. And actually, one of the few times like a good play goes our way, we're bonded. Some people express that in different ways, but we all express what we put that way. finds expression. Look at um, look at Isaiah fifty five twelve. Look at what God is saying about all creation. Isaiah fifty five twelve. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall what? Break forth into singing, and the trees of the field shall what? Clap their hands. He's saying that creation itself is expressing worship to God. Look at Psalm 98. You want 
Actually, we'll just read the whole Psalm 98. Um, I thought you were going to say the whole song. I'm like, all right, let's do it. We'll read all the songs just to put it in context. <laughs> oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous. Why is he saying sing a new song? Because he has done marvelous things. We respond to the things that God has done for us and who he is. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre. With the lyre, that's like the guitar. And the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn. That's like jazz. Make a joyful noise before the king, the lord. Let the sea roar. Listen to this. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands on the hills, sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Look at Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise Him for what? His mighty deeds. Praise Him what? According to His excellent greatness. According to His excellent greatness. That's the two things that we worship God for. What He has done and who He is. His character and His deeds. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambour. No, I'll skip that part. And dance. Praise Him with strings. I'm sorry. I grew up in a church where they had the tambour. And, um, bring back shiver. But it says in the Bible. So That's what you do with the shiver. Uh, praise him with strings and pipe. Praise, and I'm not saying like folk, like tambourine. I mean like people in the, in the audience would bring tambourines with ribbons attached to it and would like wave with the tambourine. Like this and, um, That's next week. Don't worry, I'll, I'll shut that down real fast. <laughs> praise him with about next week. <laughs> Take your honky rhythm outside. Come back in when you have a little room. Praise him with strings. That's, that's guitars and bass and pipe. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like uh, lutes and uh, bagpipes and organs and, you know, everything. A lot of Praise him with still worship. Worship with a different uh, object. Praise him with sounding symbols. Praise him with loud clashing symbols. Let what? Everything. Everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord because God is eternally good. Because God is eternally great. Because God is eternally powerful. Because we as believers have been bought by him with an eternally precious price. Because we are going to spend eternity with him forever, there cannot be enough response to that goodness and that greatness. We have to respond in worship. It has to find expression. We went over it last week. Um, I'm not going to read the whole section because they're long, but Revelation 5, we see... We see every time, like I mentioned last week, every time you get a glimpse into heaven, there is worship going on. Because when you see him for who he is, you cannot help but respond to him. 
soul will be worshiping him with about forever and ever. And they sang in verse 9 of chapter 5, and they sang a new song. Saying, This is a new song in heaven. This was a new song. Because up until now, Jesus was the second person of the Trinity, he was God's son. But up until now, he had not been the lamb who was slain for the forgiveness of earth and the world. Worthy are you to take a scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed, you have been ransomed, people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. Do you know why missions exist? John Piper said this, missions exist because worship doesn't. We don't go into all the world and every tribe and every tongue simply because Jesus told us to. We go because whenever you have tasted something amazing, you can't help but tell other people about it. A hundred thousand years from now, missions probably will not exist because this world, as we know it, probably not. Even if it's a hundred million, hundred billion years from now, eternity from now, that's not even a phrase to use, but eternity from now, missions will not exist, but worship will. Why do we go? Why do we start a church? Because you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And then there are many angels, verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and glory and honor and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped him. Worship must be expressed. But how is worship expressed? First of all, worship is expressed spontaneously and unrehearsed. If somebody has to tell you to get excited about something, then you're not really excited about it. Right? I mean, I mean if you if if you Hudson, you don't you don't care about sports, if you see a team score a touchdown, somebody tells you, hey, clap and cheer, you clap and cheer, you're not really, you don't care. You just did what they told you to do. If you respond out of discipline, that is not worship. That's, that's a sign that your heart is not finding your uh, ultimate value in Jesus. Worship is spontaneous and unrehearsed. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. Um, see, it's kind of a long quote, but stick with me. It's better than I can say it. He said, I never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. Readers their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players 
praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that it's magnificent? The psalmist and telling everyone to praise God are doing what all men do when they speak about what they care about. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy. I'm not skipping ahead, but because of the praise, not merely expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. Um, whenever you find value and worth in something, you cannot help but to instant, spontaneously and unrehearsed, you worship it. Number two, how is worship expressed? It's expressed physically, mentally, and emotionally. So in other words, with your whole being. Look at, look at the Psalms. We're going to run through Psalm 47. Psalm 47, we're going to be at 47 and 95 and 132. 132? Yes. Psalm 47, 1. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Psalm 95, verse 6. Oh, let us worship. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the God, our Maker. For He is our God, and we're the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Remember last week we talked about worship is coming to Him with empty hands to say that you are the shepherd and I am not. Psalm 134, verse 2. Verse 1. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands the holy place and bless the Lord. Whenever you find value in something, um, not only is your response to it spontaneous and unrehearsed, but it involves your whole being. It involves your emotions, it involves your, your body, and it involves your thoughts. You can't help but think about it. Think about whenever you first um, when you first fell in love with somebody. Think about how you don't have to force yourself to think about them. You don't have to force yourself to get butterflies when you're around them. You don't have to force yourself to tell your friends about how awesome they are and how good looking they are. And It just happens. You don't have to force yourself to be around them. You want to be around them you find values in them. Worship is expressed in the three with um, the unique gifts, talents, personality, and motivations that you have. Look at Romans 12.
saying here is that it's not that you, again, you have to act particular ways. That these things are broader from where our affections are. And what we're finding is <coughs> value in our lives. And if we're finding Jesus to be of ultimate value, we will respond in worship. And that doesn't mean just in a gathering like this. I've known many people who are, quote, great worshipers in a gathering, but their lives are far from his heart. They worship him with vain lips. Their hearts are far from him. When we worship, our whole lives respond to that, what we find of ultimate value. Look at Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And look in verse um, 6 and 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So this is just a little bit further when he's, when he's saying that we should present our bodies, that by presenting our bodies to God, that is what our wor- that's what worship is. And then in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So what's that saying about our our gifts, our talents, our personalities, our motivations that make us up. Yeah, they're different. Everybody has a unique set of those. And the way that you use those is worship. In the community, outside of church, even in your home, in your with your neighbors, where you work, the giftings and the callings and the motivations that God has given you. He's given you those in order to worship Him with that. Remember this too, when it talks in here, it tells you not just, just to do it, but to do it to the best of your ability. Like I said, He can give the liberality. He can lead with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. It's not like, oh, go out and do it again. So go out and do it to me. To the very best of your ability, the integrity. What we find to be ultimate value changes the way that we do things. Changes not just what we do, but changes the way in which we do them. So worship is expressed spontaneously and unrehearsed. It's, it's expressed physically, emotionally, and mentally, and it's expressed through our unique gifts, talents, personalities, and, motiva- and motivations. And then we'll, we'll land on this. Um, our joy is completed in the expression of worship. I um, I went. Uh, has anybody in here ever been to the Rivertown Bistro in Conway? It's one of my absolute favorite restaurants in the whole entire world. If you've not been, you must make reservations today and go. Not not right now, but like make reservations today and go there sometime later. Um, I had what I still consider the best meal of my entire life. Meg and I went, this is, uh, I don't know, this is before Sophia, five, six, seven, eight years ago, and 
and uh, they had this special. It's actually now on the menu, but uh, for some reason that night it was um, it was amazing. It's this thing called uh, zucchini boat. Zucchini boats. It is this. Uh, it's this. Um, it's a half of a zucchini, and they've carved out the middle of it, and they bread it lightly and they flash fry it. Stick with me, guys. And uh, this is going somewhere other than just making you hungry. And then they replace that zucchininess inside it um, with shrimp and crawfish and uh, lobster, I think. Lobster, shrimp, crawfish, and there was something else. Scallops or something. And then, and so they pile it all on top. And then they take this amazing sauce and they pour it over the top. And all that is sitting on a bed of mashed potatoes. And wow. that was the special tonight. And I, they ordered it and brought it up before me. And I took the first bite and spontaneously and unrehearsed, I went, oh, mama. <laughs> it was amazing. I just, it was like flavor exploding in my mouth. And so I took a second bite and I'm like, oh man, that was just as good as the first one. Oh man, this is so good. And I'm, I'm like embarrassingly loud and I'm moaning. I'm, just like, sure. I'm enjoying, I want to take with my wife, but all of a sudden, like the whole world is going black and I'm just like alone with this zucchini boat. And, 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 and Megan said, oh, can I try? And the, for the first time ever, I said, no way. <laughs> and, and I didn't even, I wouldn't feel guilty about it. I said, I don't want to waste a single bite of this on, I want to enjoy this every, like, as much as I possibly could not, but yet I couldn't stop telling her how good it was. <laughs> Which is really not fair, guys. Like it, it was probably very big to do, but it's, in the moment, you would have done the same thing. <laughs> and so I, I, I eat this whole thing, and it's amazing, I'm just, enjoying it. And then after I finished the meal, I happened to look across the restaurant, and there's a co-worker over there. And so, um, before we're getting ready to get to leave, I got up and walked over and said hello to them. And I said, hey, what are you guys having? And she said, I had the zucchini boat. And I'm like, oh, it was amazing. What she It's the best thing I've ever had. And so we banter back and forth because her husband hadn't had it. We talked back and forth about how amazing it was. I think the, the next day or the next week, we show up at work and I see her and I'm like, oh man, she's like, yeah, that zucchini boat was amazing. And for days and weeks we talked about, because it was only a special, it didn't have it on every day on the menu, that you couldn't have it anymore. It just disappeared. And we, but I could only, I could only share, I could, I had to express how good it was, not only to Megan, but I had to find somebody else who had tasted it and knew just how tasty and amazing it was. When we worship, that's what happens. We cannot help it. Spontaneously and unrehearsed, we have to tell people about it. We express how good it is. I, sometimes it's embarrassing, but I do this little taste good dance when I taste something that's really good. I just kind of sway my body back and forth. I can't help but like, oh man, it's amazing. This is really, really good. I have to tell people. I have to share. Isn't it? If you hear a new piece of music, or you have a really good meal, or you see an amazing play, doesn't it just kind of cheat it a little bit if you can't 
tell somebody about it? You have to, in some way, we all have different ways. Some of us are very extroverted, and we'll, we'll make embarrassing noises in the middle of a restaurant as we're eating a, a, a fine meal. Some people are very introverted about it, and they, they, maybe they blog about it, or write about it, or tweet about it, or you have to express it somehow to people. Worship, when we put our value, we can find something of ultimate value. We not only um, have to express it, but the expression itself consummates the joy. It completes the joy. You can't help but to do it. And that's what worship is. Pent-up joy is torture. Um, perfection and joy, this is about God. Perfection and joy, perfection appreciated, and perfection expressed is bliss and ecstasy. Like Lewis said, um, it's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anybody how good he is. To cut some, suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur, then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can of the ditch. Or to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. And when we find something ultimate value, we have to express it. That's worship. And um, the expression itself is the, uh, the seal of the deal of the joy. It's really what makes it joy. Otherwise, you just kind of explode. So that's what we're going to be about at Docs. So we're going to be about um, seeing Jesus as he is. We don't have to force anybody to any type of actions, any type of lifestyle. When we show them who Jesus is, as he's expressed to us in the scripture, then when he opens their eyes to see that beauty, they won't help but be able to respond their whole life according to the personality and gifts and talents and motivations that God has given them. Let's pray. Father, you created us um, to be worshipers, and you are an amazing, amazing God. We can never explore the depths of your goodness, the depths of your beauty, the depths of your, um, of your amazing grace and how you ransomed us through the cross. So Father, we pray that you would make us into a community of people who worship you and express that with our whole lives and the individual ways that you created us to do so. We pray that uh, just as, um, as John Piper said, because Missions exist because worship doesn't. Uh, we exist as a church plant because worship does not. There are people all around us who are passing by, living in their homes, working beside us in community, um, but they do not know how amazing and how beautiful you are. We pray that as we live lives of worship, that you would use us to open the window for them to see you, and they would become worshipers of you too. And they would say, oh man, you were right. He is amazing. And you would receive the glory that is due to your name. 